So Jim, let's move on to the next thing I wanted to talk about was the advent of Beckett grading services. Can you tell us a little bit about how you sort of, I don't, it's not so much pivoting because you didn't abandon the price guide business, but you added this new division to Beckett Media, I suppose, and created Beckett Grading Services. What do you remember from back then in terms of bringing that online and uh, and launching it? Well, another distinction, I mean, the, the new company that I sold to became Beckett Media. When I had it, it was Beckett Publications. Okay. And actually, that says a lot because Beckett Publications doesn't sound like they would be in the grading business. It also doesn't sound like it'd be in the dot-com business either. It sounds 20th century. It sounds old school. But it wasn't. We had some very innovative people. And way before we started grading, there, there was a little, uh, there was an undercurrent in our office of people that thought, hey, that would be a really good idea. We, we noted with interest what PSA was doing. They were the kind of the, the, the mark, kind of the only game in town at that point, pretty much. And they, they were, they were making some noise. And, you know, especially Mark Harwell, who was the president at the time, he said, he said, we can do that. And I, I probably was the one, Jeremy, that was dragging my feet because I thought, well, you know, we've got our hands full with doing the pricing and there's some people will criticize that we shouldn't price. Even though we're trying to, you know, we're not setting the prices, we're trying to re reflect the prices that are already there. But then we'd be pricing grading, graded cards and things like that. So, but that was me needing to get over the fact that you can't please all the people all the time. And frankly, we've been grading cards. I mean, when I was doing the price guides, even without help, if you didn't grade the card, you, you, it's incomplete information to say a card sold for this price. It has to be in, with some specificity of condition. And so we were always doing that anyway. And when we started the grading, it was populated by all the price guide guys were real sharp. Actually, right. not all of them could grade. It's it, be, The ability to grade is not always correlated with hobby knowledge. Some people can, some people can't. It's, it's eyesight, and it's just the ability to dispassionately look at a card and block everything out and, 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 and give it an accurate assessment of the grade, and then do it again 60 seconds later, and 60 seconds later, and 60 seconds later, or two minutes, or whatever they take. Right, right. And keep focused and keep alert and all that for sure. What was what was the ramp up like with the grading company? I mean, you launch, you do some marketing, you get your first few submissions. How long did, did it take for it to really take off and uh, be able to fill or, or take up the time of the people that you had assigned to that division? Our company was, I guess you, you have a corporate background. I mean, we basically did not, under my regime, I had no desire to announce future products. I just thought, let's perfect it, let's build a mousetrap and then show people. And if it's a better mousetrap, people will will come. And so we had basically a stealth grading operation for um, at least six months. So Grant Sandground, who, who you're on your show, was in the thick of that. So he kind of stopped his, he had a huge job in the pricing, but it was important for him to take about six months to help perfect the grading scale because we, we didn't want to do it exactly the way PSA did it. I, that's just not me. We wanted to do better. And so the report card was an important part of that. The the, the inner sleeve, the, the, the more substantial holder, and uh, the ability to use our standardized nomenclature. Those were all features that we thought we're, we're not trying to be as good as PSA. We want to be better. In truth, we're different and uh, we have a great following and, and so do they. I wanted to ask you kind of, you kind of got ahead of me there, but I wanted to ask you like, how involved were you in the design of the slab, the holder itself and, and actually using the subgrades and displaying them prominently on the front of the label? Was that like, was that something that you initiated or was that part, was that part of the team? And just how, how important was that to the success of, of Becca Grading Services? I think was really important because it was important to have distinctives that we're different and we're saying we want to be better, but you can't just be same better, especially when you had an entrenched first mover uh, competitor who, who was doing fine. But I think Mark Harwell, uh, who had, uh, was the president of our company at that time, 
And uh, he came to me and he said, you know, I've got, I've been working with some people on the side to come up with a patented uh, slab that we can, we can actually patent because it'll have enough features that are different. But he had a little bit of a coin background and knew that really taking good care of the, of the card was, was important and that it wouldn't slide around and all that. And I think Grant uh, and Dan Hitt was involved and Wayne Grove and Mark Anderson. There were, there is, and I'm probably leaving out other people, but I know Grant was very involved in kind of putting together all the different scenarios for, the subgrades. Yeah. He went over that some, but he really, he, he was, he's very sharp, but he pretty much took the lead on that. We had discussions about it, but, but he was, he's, I'm like this too. We share this. I, I like things being complicated, but I don't like them to be too complicated. And so if it's complicated, but it kind of makes sense, which I think it does when you look at the report card, then I think that's a, it's a net positive. But if there's two 9.5s and, and two nines, they're thinking, well, you know, if it's your card, you want to say it's a 9.5. And if it's somebody else, you want to say it's a 9. Well, there's a scale for every possible configuration. And, uh, and it depends on what, what the, what, what grades get higher and what grades get lower. If it's got a bullet hole in it, it could be a, a 10, 10, 10, 0 or 1. And that doesn't average out to 9, a right. card bullet hole. So anyway, Grant went through all of this really, uh, re- really fun, re- really fun to go through that. And all the, again, they just hold up and did a kind of a, what they, what they call, what Tom Peters used to call skunk works. Kind of an entrepreneuring, you know, inside the company, developing a, a new thrust, and so it's kind of secret. I think I don't think it was well known. Okay, okay. And you mentioned PSA was the first mover. When did SGC kind of get in the market, and did they come in after you, before you, at the same time? And were they sort of uh, someone that you tried to get market share from, or did you have to share it with them? I probably should not answer that. We, we had some confidential discussions with SGC uh, at that time. Yeah, let me just leave it at that. But, but I, 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 they, they do excellent work as well. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Okay, Bruce Findlay wants to know. He says Sluggers was the original price guide, and then Beckett took over. Did you know the Sluggers guys or take any direction from them? <laughs> wow, that's that is a Canadian <laughs> uh, question. I knew that I knew the Sluggers guys. It's Rick and Jack, and uh, I'd see them, but I, I'm pretty sure they, you know, I, I, I've been going for a long time. If he's talking about hockey. Andrew Pivovarchuk was doing was doing hockey price guides too, so he clearly predates uh, the, the the Sluggers guys from from Toronto. But I love going to that in, into the into their store, and and they were very personable, engaging guys. They were a lot of fun, but and they had a, a day in the sun. They had a they had a moment. Well, yeah, there was also there was tough stuff. Legends, Sports Collectors Digest, Alan Kay's Sports Card Magazine came out for a while. Were those anything you can say about sort of that competition that that also produced some some valuation guides back in the day? You ever play golf? Sometimes, a couple times. The girls who play golf have a choice to either compete against their opponent or compete against the, the course and 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 par. And, and the best golfers are trying to beat par, and they're trying to be not necessarily perfect, but their standard is. Not what the other people are doing, but how if they play their game, they'll, if they believe they'll win the tournament, not looking at the other guys. So we kind of did that. I, there were other people doing price guides and some of them uh, were more aggressive than others and some were better than others. But at this point, you know, we kept our eye on the ball. You know, we weren't looking at them. You know, but it's a free world. It's a free country. It's a free, free, free continent. Yeah. I, I agree. That's, that's the, that's the best approach to take. Worry about yourself. Try harder though. Just for your, your, your perspective though, Jeremy, we had to try harder for hockey because it was a substantially a Canadian sport and we didn't want to be these guys in Dallas that were telling people in Canada what their, what their hockey cards were worth when we had a, actually we had a franchise and it actually won the Stanley Cup. But so we hired Alan Muir. Our biggest price guide team in those days was hockey. 
because I just really wanted to make sure that we were we were nailing. Hockey is important. It, it is not the largest of the four sports, but it is arguably the most passionate. I would agree with that completely. And, you know, it's great to hear that you, you know, that, that was the approach you took. I think that it would have been nice, nice to have heard you say that way back. Not that it's anything that I, that you, you thought wasn't the situation, but it really, it's just nice. It's nice to hear, even thinking back to the old days of looking at these magazines every month and knowing that, you know, you weren't, you guys weren't just down in Texas telling us what our cards were worth. You were consulting and you had advisors up here, uh, including my original LCS, which was Abd cards back in the, the early and mid eighties. So. That's, that's pretty cool. Okay. Bruce wants, Bruce has another comment. He says, Dr. Brian Price is, is well loved in the hockey side of the hobby. What was your relationship like with Brian? Would I trust Brian with my teeth? I'm not sure how much dentistry he's doing, but <laughs> I think he's got a, a, an amazing eye for hockey memorabilia and the understanding of what makes a great card. And it, you and I have had a conversation about that, Jeremy, that I, I think he's deserving of recognition for his contributions, uh, to hockey cards and to this, to this hobby. Okay. And he's a friend. I'd see him once a year, maybe at the national or at the, at the expo, uh, guy. Okay. Great. Thank you for, for that. Dave Weir wants to know regarding the Beckett slab, was there any consulting done to ensure it was archival safe? Yes. I believe that's something that Mark did. I don't know how, what level of archival safe, but, but he was very concerned about those kind of things and, you know, the inner sleeve and all that. He at one point had a collection of 30 different slabs from not just card companies, but coin grading, anybody that did any slabbing, he looked at it for the pros and cons. And, you know, again, not to copy, but to say, we don't want to do that. And, and, and how do we resolve those things that we see are problems in these others? 